You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we want to begin a lecture series on the entire book of Jonah. So we want to go ahead and start, of course, with Jonah chapter 1. But before we begin, let's understand that uh, Jonah the prophet is the same prophet that's talked about in 2 Kings chapter 14. So this is going to date Jonah around 790 B.C. during the reign of Jeroboam II in northern Israel. So if you look at 2 Kings chapter 14, you have in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the eyes of Yahweh. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of Yahweh, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For Yahweh saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But Yahweh had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash." Now, of course, this sets the context of the book of Jonah, the life of the prophet of Jonah, historically, in these things that were taking place in northern Israel. And right away, you'll notice that Yahweh, the one who is the creator, the one who is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, he is working in the midst of this fallen creation through instrumental means. The means of people even like King Jeroboam II, who is trying to prevent Yahweh's kingdom from coming, doing things contrary to God's will. But yet we know that God's will is done. In fact, God's will is always for the best. It's always for the better, for us, for all creation itself. And so Jonah is put in this context of one who is sent as a prophet, the mouthpiece of Yahweh, to speak the clear word of God from heaven to corrupted creation on earth. And again, notice that God works through the instrumental means of people in the vocation and place of a king, and especially in the vocation and place of a prophet. Anchoring the person of Jonah to this text back in 2 Kings chapter 14, helps us to understand how the book of Jonah begins with this classic Hebrew vav consecutive. 
which you could translate as, and it came to pass, or just and, connecting what takes place in the book of Jonah to what had already taken place previously in the books of the Bible. So in verse 1, the way I want to translate this and render it is in this way. Now, it happened that the word of Yahweh was positioned toward Jonah, saying. Now, in the very first verse, we want to see the second person of the Holy Trinity, the word of Yahweh, the messenger of the Lord, the one who has the message, the one who speaks. So he is speaking to Jonah, and then he sends Jonah out to be the mouthpiece and to speak this word. And so this is why we want to render this in the way of the second person of the Holy Trinity. The word of Yahweh is positioned toward Jonah, speaking to Jonah. So the word is calling out Jonah, calling Jonah and placing him in this position as a preacher who has access to the divine throne room of grace, the heavenly council, to know what is the will of God so that this will can be made known to others. So, just like in the New Testament, when Jesus sends out the apostles to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. Here, too, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, is sending out the prophets. And so we have this picture here of Jesus himself being actively involved in the salvation history of mankind. And in particular, in the book of Jonah, we will see that will of God for the conversion of the Gentiles, which, of course, we see in the Gospels where the apostles are sent out, the sent ones, to convert the Gentiles with the word of truth, to that gospel message of the person and work of Christ. Well, here in Jonah chapter 1, we know the will of Yahweh as given to Jonah is that Jonah would preach to those who were Nineveh. Now, to be clear, Nineveh is filled with the Gentiles, the Goyim, those who do not know the true living God. They do not know the Creator. Instead, they have been obsessed and possessed by the imagination of their own heart, false images of the deities that they think that they have in this life. And they worship in the way in which they think is going to make their deities happy. They have false gods. They have a false imagination. They try to make God merciful with their acts and their ways. And they try to do things in accordance to what they think is the will of their deity, of their gods. In fact, it's really their own will. Now, that's what we're going to see throughout the whole of the Old Testament, is that when you worship without God's word, that is idolatry. Idolatry is trying to worship God in the way that you want, ultimately, that your will is done. It might be so simple as you just declare something not to be sin because you don't want it to be sin because you like it. Or you declare something to be good that's not good, it's evil, but you like it. So ultimately, with the corrupted heart, by nature, we are sinful and unclean. We are unholy, and we want to do the things we want. We are self-centered. We are curved in on ourselves. We want our wills to be done. 
but it's God's word that comes and converts the heart. Through the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit is given to change the heart so that the heart is not self-willed, but the heart now understands the revealed will of God. And we know that God's will is that none would perish, but rather that salvation would be proclaimed and salvation would be received. Faith would be given into the heart. People would turn from their sin and turn to the creator of all things. So we know this in the book of Jonah. As we begin, we know the word of Yahweh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is sending Jonah out. And in this commissioning, he tells Jonah in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Now, in this first chapter, we are going to see a lot of great things. We will see the great city, the great wind, the great storm, the great fear that the mariners, the sailors have. But the one thing that is not great is the prophet Jonah. In fact, in this book of Jonah, we are looking for one who is greater than Jonah, which, of course, is Christ himself. So as Christ sends out the prophet, the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, the word of God, the eternal word of God, is sending out Jonah with the word to go to Nineveh, speaking the word to Jonah, that Jonah would be the mouthpiece. Whenever we see the sending out of a prophet in the Old Testament, this is a picture of the Holy Incarnation. The God himself, the word of God, would become man. The Father would send forth the Son who is the eternal, essential word of God, that he would come in the flesh to his own people, but his own would not receive him. And then he would go to the Gentiles through the message that's proclaimed through the apostles. So now we will see this in the book of Jonah, that God's will will be done. Now, in chapter 1, we will see Jonah trying to do his own will. We'll even see the mariners, the sailors at sea, trying to do their own will. But what we will learn again and again is God's will is done. And God's will is always best for us in humanity. So try as hard as Jonah can, doing what he wants to do or what the sailors want to do, they will be frustrated. They will not be able to do and fulfill their wills. But ultimately, God's will will be done. So when God tells Jonah to arise, to rise up, and to go, to walk, to Nineveh, the great city, he then says, then go and preach. Then call out against it, because their evil has ascended to my face. Now, there's a couple of things that we want to note here right away is that Yahweh is directly involved in his own creation. The creator comes into creation. He is bringing salvation. But here we see something that is not right. It is evil that has ascended before the face of Yahweh. Now, some translations, or I should say probably most translations, will say the presence of Yahweh, or my presence. Okay, that's fine, but we want to be clear that it's before the face of Yahweh. That's the face of grace. When we're talking about the presence, we're talking about the promised presence. We're talking about gaining access to the creator of all things. In fact, 
This is what the Israelites had at the temple in Jerusalem. Three times a year, the males of the Israelites were required to go up to ascend to the temple mount, to the place of God's face, this place of grace, the promised presence for their benefit, for their peace, the pardon from all of their iniquities. And this is what we have at the temple. So keep this in mind, that the Israelites would ascend, they would go up to the temple, the place of God's promised presence where his name is located. And there at the temple, he would dwell above the wings of cherubim, the cherubim, as a throne. It's a throne of grace. Now, this is a holy place. And of course, where the Ark of the Covenant is located is the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Well, here at the temple, where you have access to gather before the face of Yahweh, you would have the temple and the altar. And at the altar, this is where the sacrificial system was put into place by God's institution with God's promise that these animals were dying instead. Sin brings death, and these animals were a substitute. So they sacrificially were given in the stead of sinners to assure the people of God of the forgiveness of sins, that there was pardon and peace. God gives his word. He gives his promise. This is the location of the temple where God's name is there present. And where God's name is present, you have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. But notice the contrast. When you ascend or go up to the temple, you're going there to be before God's face of grace. But here in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word of God, says that Jonah is to call out, that is to preach against Nineveh, the great city. Why? Because their evil has ascended. It has gone up before his face. Now, as a prophet, Jonah knows exactly what this means. As a prophet, he has access to that heavenly throne room, to the divine council, to know intimately the will of God, that none would perish, but that they would be turned, that they would be turned by the preaching of his word. And so this is the context that we put this text into, the prophet knowing precisely why he is being sent. Yes, he is to call out sin, but when you call out sin and you bring that law which exposes the wickedness, the evilness of the heart, in the thoughts, in the words, in the deeds. This is done so that the individual can have a divine appointment brought before the judgment seat of God, so that sin is revealed and exposed. And now you have the Creator, the only one who is holy, and now he will make things right. Now, as a prophet of Yahweh, Jonah knows ultimately how things are to be made right through reconciliation because Yahweh is merciful. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. 
So this is what Jonah knows as a prophet. He knows that that's the message of the prophets. And so what does Jonah do? He does exactly the opposite. Instead of ascending up to the temple before the face of Yahweh, that promised presence, that place of grace, he is going to descend and hightail it out of there. I mean, just exactly the opposite. So we know the will of Yahweh is that the prophet would be sent to speak the word of God. It is through the proclamation, the preaching of the word of God, that the Spirit of God is given. And so, we talk about a great city here, but Jonah has a great idea. Now, in life, when we seem to have a great idea, <laughs> that's, that's when we usually get ourselves into trouble. I know that when I have a great idea, it seems that my great idea really isn't that great in the end. Well, Jonah's great idea is I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to rise up. I'm going to go down. I'm not going to ascend. I'm going to descend. So we see this in chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah, so the contrast, we have the word of Yahweh speaking to Jonah, but Jonah, on the other hand, Jonah rose to flee. <laughs> so, now the will of Jonah will be frustrated. The eternal word of God, the essential word of God says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. And Jonah, instead, he arises and he flees. So he doesn't go to Nineveh. Instead, he's going to flee toward Tarshish. Now, now again, notice that here's the great idea that Jonah has. I'm just going to get out of here. This is the will of Jonah. Now, the will of Jonah will be frustrated because the will of God will be done. And God's will is always best for us and all humanity. So instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah's going to go the opposite direction. He's going to get as far away as he possibly can. He's going to get on a boat, and he's going to go into the sea, and he's just going to go somewhere else. <laughs> he doesn't want to have anything to do with this at all. So in verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose to flee toward Tarshish from the face of Yahweh. Now, here's where we, we have to stop and pause and understand again that as a prophet, he knows the significance, the importance of being before the face of Yahweh, especially at the temple in Jerusalem, that promised presence for peace and pardon. And so what is Jonah going to do? He wants to flee from the face of Yahweh, from that place of grace. Now, when we go back to the book of Genesis, the first book that Moses wrote, of course, he writes five. The first book of Moses, the first time we ever hear about the face of Yahweh is in the garden with Adam and Eve. And of course, it's after the fall into sin where Adam and Eve tried to hide from the face of Yahweh. And so this is the corrupted heart. This is the will of sinful man wanting to hide from the face of Yahweh. Because you know that if you go before the face of Yahweh, sin is going to be exposed. It's going to be revealed. What your sinful will is, is going to be made known. And this is not something that Adam and Eve want to be known. But yet, God knows. God knows. And so Yahweh is the one who seeks 
to save the lost. So the second person of the Holy Trinity in the Garden of Eden, he's the one who is walking toward Adam and Eve to find them as they are hiding from his face. Later on in Genesis chapter 4, next time we hear about the face of Yahweh, this is where we see the first murder, the first death, the first shedding of blood. Now keep that blood in mind here. Even the mariners in Jonah chapter 1 know the significance of innocent blood being shed. They don't want the blood of Jonah to be held against them by Yahweh. So that's the first time blood is seen by Adam and Eve of humanity. And in that shedding of blood, there is death and the blood of Abel. It cries out for vengeance from the ground. And this is the time where Cain is exiled. He is excommunicated. He is no longer welcome before the face of grace. So he goes out from the face of Yahweh. He does not have the promise of pardon and peace. He has been overtaken by sin. Sin rules and reigns in Cain's heart. And so he is sent out from that promised presence, the peace and the pardon that comes with the word of God and the sacraments that he institutes. So keep those two incidents in mind. Adam and Eve hiding from the face of God when their sin was exposed. They went against the will of God. Cain also went against the will of God. Remember, God is the one who came to Cain and told him that the sin is crouching his door, trying to take control of him, trying to possess him, trying to reign and rule over him. But Cain would not listen. And now in that context, we have Jonah, the prophet, who is now fleeing from the face of Yahweh. So again, in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee toward Tarshish from the face of Yahweh, and he went down to Joppa. Now again, notice that he, he rises up, but he is getting up not to go. He's getting up to go down. He is going to descend instead of ascending. Instead of going up before the face of Yahweh at the temple, he's going to go down away from the face of Yahweh, Ajapa. So this is the place uh, by the sea, the port where he can commission a ship, a vessel, in order to flee to Tarshish. And this is where he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he gave it its price, and he went down to go with them toward Tarshish, away from the face of Yahweh. So twice here, we have this emphasis of what the plan of Jonah is, what his will is. He wants to flee from the face of Yahweh. Two times, doubly emphasized. So this is his purpose. This is his will. But we know that the Lord's will will be done. And so in the very next verse, we hear what Yahweh does in response. Then Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a great storm in the sea. So the ship thought itself to be broken apart. Of course, there's a little bit of humor here that Jonah as the prophet, who should understand and consider these things and think and meditate and contemplate on this word of Yahweh, 
that is to be sent out to the Gentiles. He doesn't think about these things, but the ship thinks about these things. It thinks about the wind that's great, the storm that's great, and these external things that are happening upon the ship itself is breaking the ship apart. The Creator is coming against creation. So you'll see this in the book of Jonah. It's the creation other than Jonah who will get it, <laughs> but not the prophet of God, the one who should get it, the one who has a great idea, and his great idea is not going to be a good idea. So here's the ship. And the ship itself is thinking, it's considering, it's pondering what's taking place with the great wind and storm, and it's being broken apart. It's being shattered to pieces. But not Jonah. He has no consideration whatsoever of this. So you move from the ship, the inanimate object of creation, to those who are on the ship, those pagans, the heathens, the Gentiles who are on the ship. So in verse 5. Then the mariners feared. So with this external activity going on, the great wind and the great storm, the mariners who are at sea, these sailors, they know that this is not good, that this is bad. This is not a good thing for them. It is impending death. So they were fearing for their lives. They were fearing because of what the sea could do tip them over and drown them in, and they would go down to the depths and the bottom of the sea and die until they're dead. So the mariners, they feared. Jonah, at this point, doesn't fear at all. Everything is fine with Jonah. He's not considering what does it mean that the great wind and the great storm hurled by Yahweh has come upon them. He has no consideration or thought for this. He has no fear of this at all. But in verse 5, it's the mariners who feared. And they cried out, each one to his God. And they hurled the cargo which was in the ship into the sea in order to lighten it from upon them, the, the raging of the sea, that is. And so you see here, <laughs> no pun intended, but you see in the sea that the mariners are trying to flee from the great wind and the great storm. And so they are hurling cargo into the sea. Yahweh hurls the great wind in the great storm. And in response, they hurl the cargo. They're crying out to their own gods, their own deities. They are trying to appease the wrath of the sea. Whether it be the sea deity of, uh, say, let's say, Neptune or Poseidon or even Yom. I mean, that's the Hebrew word for sea, which is also the Phoenician, that whole Canaanite understanding of the deity named of the sea. And so here they are, they're hurling the cargo as kind of a, an offering, saying, here, take this, but just let us go. They're trying to lighten things up. They're trying to lessen this anger of the sea and trying to calm it down. So this is what the mariners are doing. And the sailors, they have a will, they have a desire, they have a volition of what they think can be done and what should be done. But it will come to no avail because only God's will is done. So that's a lesson that we learn here. And so in contrast to the mariners, the ones who have been at sea quite often, they know these things are not good. They're trying to do something 
to avert any kind of doom or death. But in contrast, you have but Jonah. So the mariners feared, but Jonah went down. So again, we see the trend that Jonah is not ascending up to Yahweh. He is not sending prayers that would rise up to Yahweh, that they would go up. They would ascend up before Yahweh's face. Instead, Jonah continues to descend. He continues to go down, down, down. That will be the direction of Jonah. But Jonah went down into the innermost recesses of the vessel, and he lay down, and he slept soundly. <laughs> so You see this just almost ridiculous contrast here that the mariners are frantic and they're just hurling cargo overboard into the ocean to appease the wrath of the sea. And Jonah, he has no care at all. He is sound asleep. Jonah went down, he laid down so he wouldn't hear a sound. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.